Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Welcome in. What's right with Nick Wright, episode 173. Ton to do today. Some quick scheduling notes. We are off on Tuesday, not because I'm not working, but because I'm actually working double duty on television on Tuesday. Thursday, one week from today, will be Diora's last show before she goes off to college and I have an existential crisis. And then a week from Tuesday, we will be bi-coastal on the What's Right show. Because Demonze will be back as promised for our football shows. In fact, we will see a little sneak peek of Demonze's studio in Los Angeles later in today's show. But before we even get to any of today's show and before we get to what missed, some very breaking news in the last 90 seconds that doesn't seem noteworthy, but... It's noteworthy to me, and I think it should be noteworthy if you're a New York Giants fan or an Arizona Cardinals fan. The Arizona Cardinals just traded Isaiah Simmons, the kind of do-it-all Swiss Army knife. Is he a linebacker, a corner, or a safety? Former top 10 pick to the New York Giants for a 7th round pick. I don't think that's enough value for Isaiah Simmons, a player I like a lot. I also think the Giants and Wink Martindale will use him in exotic, fun ways. And while I don't like the return on that for the Cardinals, I do like the fact that they are really going all in on bomb bottoming out so they can get Caleb Williams. That part is smart. I think you could have gotten more for Isaiah Simmons. I like Isaiah Simmons. Now, he hasn't been a great pro. I loved him in college. I loved the pick. That obviously has not worked out for them, a top 10 pick being traded for a seventh rounder. But that's the breaking news that just happened a few minutes ago. Here is what missed the cut on today's show. Asia Wilson scores 53. Uh, Ties the WNBA record. She is spectacular. That Aces team, Van Gundy during the NBA playoffs said they could go undefeated. They didn't go undefeated, but they are 27-4, and four, and it sure looks like an Aces-Liberty uh, WNBA final. We've been on that collision course all year. Will Levis signs a disgusting Mayo sponsorship, and Patrick Beverly once again calls me out for something that was actually complimentary. I said on television, I thought we'd see another Steph Curry before we see another Magic Johnson. Patrick Beverly says lies are detected. We'll see another Steph Curry before we see another Magic Johnson. 
for a couple of very obvious reasons. One is Steph Curry has inspired a generation of young people to try to play like him. Another is it's been 30 years since Magic retired. We haven't seen another Magic Johnson. And all the people replying to the tweet saying, oh, did you not see Ben Simmons? Did you go watch some Magic Johnson, you children? And as far as, we won't see another Patrick Beverly again either unless you have Satellite Dish to let you watch Russian basketball. Now to the show. So, Trey Lance was not at practice yesterday as he was demoted to the third-string quarterback. And this story to me is so much bigger then whether or not Trey Lance is a bust. And this is where I want to start today's show, and I want to give a bit of a history on Kyle Shanahan and then the blow-by-blow of the San Francisco 49ers to explain why I personally find this story so unfathomable. So Kyle Shanahan, obviously... His dad's Mike Shanahan. He comes up with the Houston Texans. And those Houston Texans teams had a clear ceiling. He was the offensive coordinator in 2008 and 2009, right before I got to Houston. And they had a clear ceiling. Why? Because they had so much trouble getting the quarterback position right. They eventually trade for Matt Schaub. And under Schaub... They have some level of success. They're not great, but they at least get to a level of relevance. Kyle Shanahan then goes to Washington. Washington has a clear ceiling, and then they trade all those assets to go get Robert Griffin. He has a dynamic rookie season. They're a playoff team. They look like a legitimate, I don't want to say contender, but a legit, they're like, wow, this is building something special. Robert then shreds his knee, and they go back to mediocrity. There, and Kyle Shanahan moves on. He's in Cleveland for a year where, once again, the quarterback position is the ceiling on the team. And then he gets to Atlanta with Matt Ryan, the best quarterback he's ever had the opportunity to work with. And the Shanahan system, plus a good, Matt Ryan's not great, But a good quarterback, a good quarterback plus the Shanahan system resulted in a MVP and a Super Bowl appearance. Now, they blew the Super Bowl, but that was where Kyle Shanahan finally, for the first time in his career, got to taste what his system with a plus quarterback could be. And it's league MVP and a Super Bowl appearance. So he then gets the job in San Francisco. Their quarterback position is an unmitigated disaster. And late in his first year, they trade for Jimmy Garoppolo. And with Jimmy Garoppolo, they have instant success. Now, the instant success is they win a bunch of games at the end of his first year. He then unfortunately blows out his knee in week two of his second year. But then he's healthy And Jimmy Garoppolo, who is the definition of a mediocre quarterback, with that Shanahan system, they go to the Super Bowl. The next year, Jimmy gets hurt again. They have a bad season. And the the very next year, after Jimmy gets hurt again, 
and they are sitting at number 12 in the draft, they then have a decision. And the decision is, do we want to stay here at number 12 and draft a quarterback? Trey Lance could be there at 12. Justin Fields could be there at 12. Mac Jones could be there at 12. And move off of Jimmy because of the injuries. Or do we think we see a special quarterback that can allow Shanahan for the first time since Matt Ryan in uh, 2016 have a plus quarterback and see if this team can be a juggernaut. They make the decision to trade up because they determine, Shanahan and Lynch determine, that while this system with this roster can be good with almost anyone playing quarterback, if we have an excellent quarterback, we can be amazing. And they pay a massive premium. Three first-round picks to move from 12 to 3. We then learned, obviously, if they wanted to stand pat with Jimmy at quarterback, they could have drafted Micah Parsons there. And if they wanted to move off Jimmy at quarterback, they could have drafted Mac Jones there. And I'm not talking about a 3, I'm talking about a 12. They target Trey Lance. And with targeting Trey Lance and his dozen career D2 starts, they say, you're not going to play, you're not going to be our starter your rookie year. But he does get some action. He comes in a game his rookie season in week four. Plays really well against Seattle. They uh, Jimmy had gotten hurt. He had 160 yards on 18 attempts, two touchdowns, ran the ball well. It's like, oh, okay, maybe something's here. He then starts the next week against Arizona. Plays terribly. So he has one good game in coming in in reserve, one bad game. Jimmy's then healthy again. He, Trey Lance sits his rookie season for the next 10 weeks. Then week 16, Jimmy is out. Trey Lance starts against Houston, albeit an obviously bad Houston team. Trey Lance plays really well. Couple touchdowns, 250 yards, completes 70% of his passes. Runs the ball for 30 yards. And then goes back to the bench, obviously, because Jimmy's healthy again, and they go to the NFC title game. And after that first year of seeing Trey Lance, the San Francisco 49ers, before the offseason even begins, say publicly, Jimmy is done, Trey is our guy. They then try to trade Jimmy, they can't, they bring him back on a lesser deal as the backup. They also draft Brock Purdy after passing on him eight different times with the final pick of the seventh round. And Trey Lance plays week one in a torrential downpour in Chicago and plays terribly. And then in week two, three plays into the game or six plays into the game, breaks his leg. And can't practice, obviously, or play the rest of the year. And then we get to this offseason. And Brock Purdy, understandably, they're saying it's his job. Even though they spent all that those resources on Trey, Brock was undefeated in games he started and finished. They like what they have there. They're giving him the job. So be it. They're, that is reasonable. And then in camp, they bring in Sam Darnold. 
who has started around 60 games, has been awful at two different stops, has as many touchdowns as interceptions, has a bottom three NFL passer rating since coming into the league. And they talk up Sam Darnold as the next Steve Young, something they really said, and yesterday they anoint Sam Darnold the backup and basically say Trey Lance is done here. So before I get to how unprecedented that is, I want everyone to understand the decision flow. The decision flow for Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch since Kyle got to San Francisco has been, we will trade significant assets to get a difference maker at the quarterback position. We will trade a second round pick and immediately give Jimmy Garoppolo and his two career starts the biggest contract in NFL history. We will then trade three first round picks after making a Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo for another quarterback. We need to have a difference maker at that position. We will then throw away with no return that player after four career starts, after two full off-seasons with the team, one off-season good enough to be named the starter, the other off-season bad enough to be essentially off the roster, throw him away not for Brock Purdy, but for Sam Darnold. And now maybe the answer is Trey Lance is simply that bad. That could be the answer. What I am trying to tell you is he would have to be worse than every first-round quarterback drafted in the last 30 years for this to be justified. Because I went through it, and I'm going to give it to you right now. The biggest busts that we think of over the last 30 years in the NFL and how much of a rope they got. Ryan Leaf started 20, I'm sorry, started 18 games with the San Diego Chargers. Achilles Smith started 17 games with the Cincinnati Bengals. Tim Couch started 59 games with the Cleveland Browns. Joey Harrington started two full regular seasons and a total of 12 plus, what is that? 55 games with the Detroit Lions. Patrick Ramsey, remember him? He started, he was a late first round pick. 24 starts with Washington. J.P. Lossman, a late first round pick. 33 starts with Buffalo. Jason Campbell, a mid first round pick. 52 starts with Washington. Matt Leinert, a mid first round pick. 17 starts with Arizona. 
Brady Quinn, a late first-round pick. 12 starts with Cleveland. Tim Tebow, a late first-round pick. 14 starts with Denver. Jake Locker, an early first-round pick. 23 starts with Tennessee. Blaine Gabbert, an early first-round pick. 27 starts with Jacksonville. Christian Ponder, 36 starts with Minnesota. E.J. Manuel, 17 starts with Buffalo. Johnny Manziel, 8 starts with Cleveland. Josh Josh Rosen, 16 starts, I'm sorry, 13 starts with Arizona. Zach Wilson, 22 starts with the Jets. There is one guy since Jim Drunkenmiller who has gotten as short of a leash as Trey Lance. Paxton Lynch in Denver, who was a late first-round pick, got four starts, was awful across the board with nothing redeeming from any of them. Trey Lance was third pick of the draft. So I am not saying that he has start over uh, Brock Purdy. What I am saying unequivocally is this. If you draft, trade up to draft, a D2 player who did not even play his last year of college football, see enough from him in your building as a rookie, to get rid of want try to get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo and anoint him your starter. He then plays a game and less than a quarter and breaks his leg. And now you're ready to cut bait entirely. You don't know what you're doing. Your quarterback evaluation process is irrevocably broken. And the idea that you now have simply discovered gold in Brock Purdy. Maybe you did. But as I said on television yesterday, if you drive your car 100 miles an hour off a cliff, survive the crash, and land next to buried treasure, and become wildly wealthy, you don't get credit for that. You're not a genius for that. It was an idiotic, indefensible process that you ended up somehow lucking out on. And I do not do not think Mr. Irrelevant coming off Tommy John surgery is going to be the player that the Niners think he can be. And I know Sam Darnold is not anyone's savior. And if you, if you two years ago loved Trey Lance enough to trade up for him and one year ago loved him enough to name him your starter and today think he's worse than Sam Darnold, then you don't know what you're doing. Moving on, Chris Jones, holdout might last until week eight. I went on television and said this is great news. Everyone made fun of me. I stand by it. As long as Chris Jones is going to be back, the Chiefs are fine. 
as it happens, all of the Chiefs' hardest games, except for the visit to royalty playing the Prince in Week 2, are after Week 7. All three of their divisional road games are after Week 7. The Bills game, the Bengals game, the Eagles game, the Dolphins game, those are all after Week 7. So the Chiefs will be fine. Also, I think Chris Jones will be there for Week 1. I think he'll get a new contract. The Chiefs want to... This is not a situation where the Chiefs don't want to pay him. They've said they want to pay him. So it'd be one thing if the Chiefs were like, listen, you're under contract, you got to play for us. They want to pay him. And once he missed the first day of training camp, it was almost a foregone conclusion he was going to miss all of the days of training camp. Now, would I like him in camp? Sure. But I'm sure the Niners would like Nick Bosa in camp. Everyone expects Bosa to be on the Niners this year and Chris Jones to be on the Chiefs. Now, does this impact their relationship with Chris Jones? Maybe. Does this impact their ability to keep him long-term? Possibly. But the fact that Chris Jones has shown up to, I think it was the ESPYs with the Chiefs, the fact that he said he wants to win Defensive Player of the Year, the fact that he is saying the longest he would hold out is two months, I don't think is bad news for the Chiefs at all, and I think they can weather those first seven games. Next, Aaron Rodgers and Hard Knocks. Randall Cobb was telling the receivers that if Rodgers doesn't trust you, he won't throw you the ball. Then Corey Davis retired. Uh, what does this mean for the Packers? I'm sorry, for the Jets, the producers are asking. Well, here's the thing on only throwing the receivers he trusts. I understand that can work when you have Devontae, when you have a younger Randall Cobb, when you have Jordy Nelson, when you have Greg Jennings. When you have totally new team, totally new teammates, young receivers, I don't know that that is the definite right approach, but that is what it is. My bigger takeaway there from that Hard Knocks clip was not the he won't throw it to you if he doesn't trust you. It was actually the, um, it was... Aaron doesn't like throwing interceptions. And that sounds like an obvious good thing. I would argue Aaron's allergy to interceptions has actually been a slight detriment. I think that there are times where an intercept, there are times where Interception literally is the worst thing quarterback can do in the red zone or, you know, on first and 10, things like that. There are also times where the risk is ver worth the reward for what a big play can do for your team. And I do think it is noteworthy that we have talked for years about how the most dangerous play in the NFL is the Aaron Rodgers free play because that's when he does. And now a lot of quarterbacks do this, but follow me here. You get a team to jump off sides. So even if you throw a pick, even if the play goes terribly, just gets wiped away and he takes a chance. Obviously Aaron throughout his career has had a great deep ball, has been able to make every throw. 
And I do think maybe a few more risks, a few more chances could be good because you are going to get some more big plays that particularly were lacking for the Packers last year and the Jets obviously have been lacking their entire uh, their entire run. I think it is noteworthy, and again, I'm not trying to take a shot at Aaron here, that, I mean, he has the lowest interception rate, I think, in NFL history. Peyton Manning played 17 years in the NFL. He had double-digit interceptions, 16 of them, and the one year he didn't, he had nine. Patrick Mahomes has played five years in the NFL. He's thrown double-digit interceptions three of those five. Tom Brady played 21 years as a starting quarterback. He had double-digit interceptions. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Twelve times of his 21 years. Those are the three greatest quarterbacks ever. Brady, Montana, and Mahomes. I'm sorry, Brady, Manning, and Mahomes. Montana, if I were to look, now that is a different era. I'm not sure it's totally fair, but I'll look at it. Montana had double-digit interceptions in nine of his 15 years. Aaron, it's been three years in his career. His first year as a starter, the year they won the Super Bowl, and last year. And so, I think the the allergy to throwing picks can be good if you're getting on the Josh Allen reckless scale. For Aaron this year, I think a few more picks than is normal might not be a bad thing. All right, next. Steph, Steph said Luka was up next. The producers say, how can Luka be next if he can't even make the playoffs? All right, this is where... Uh, LeBron has spoiled all of you. It's it's relatively normal for great, great players at some point in their career to miss the playoffs. Kobe missed the playoffs in the debt smack dab of the middle of his prime. Steph missed the playoffs the two years prior to them winning the most recent title. One year he was out most of the year fine. The other year he was playing, he... Missed the playoffs. KG missed the playoffs in Minnesota. We D- Duncan never missed the playoffs. Obviously, it's part of his greatness. Magic never missed the playoffs. It's part of his greatness. LeBron never missed the playoffs up until the latter stage. Well, that's not true. LeBron missed the playoffs the very first two years of his career when he was very young, and then with the Lakers. But during the entire run of prime, LeBron never missed the playoffs. Luka missing the playoffs one year does not disqualify him from being up next. Now, I guess the reason Steph is saying Luke is up next is because Giannis and Joker, he's saying, are right now. And Luka does have some up-next competition, but let's not forget, please, that we're a year removed. Luka dragging a team that didn't have another top 60 player in the league to the Western Conference Finals. And last year, for as much as we want to put on my large adult Slovenian son's head, last year Luka did average 32, 9, and 8 and was first team All-NBA. 
One of the craziest stats, by the way, in the NBA is that Luka Doncic has as many first-team All-NBA appearances as Steph Curry. Luka's been first-team All-NBA four times. Steph's been first-team All-NBA four times. It seems impossible to be true, but you can look it up. I promise you it's true. Uh, he has four. He's played in the league five years. He's been first-team All-NBA four of those five. All right, last one. This sucks. Shohei Otani uh, might have to have his second Tommy John surgery. Everybody is talking about what this means for his contract. And that obviously, I mean, this could be, I, I don't know who said it, but someone tweeted this most expensive elbow injury ever. It also is just devastating for baseball fans. It's devastating for Shohei. This would be his second Tommy John surgery had another one five years ago. The producers asked, does this mean it's impossible to do what he's trying to do? I Here's the thing. I, I don't know enough about UCL injuries, but I don't think, maybe I'm wrong, that him pl- doing double duty has anything to do with this. I don't think the fact that he bats when he's not pitching led to the elbow injury. I do think that there is obviously an epidemic amongst throwing arm injuries in the modern baseball player. My pal Jeff Passan wrote a whole book about it. No one has figured it out. But I give Shohei credit, man, for, I mean, this was the ultimate bet on himself deal, but this is the downside to it. I mean, this could be, they were talking about him getting 12 years $800 million. And the Angels obviously are just cursed, it would appear. And for Shohei, this is absolutely brutal. Um, and I do wonder if this means he just won't pitch anymore. If he'll just be a hitter, and he's one of the three or four best hitters in the sport anyway. Some would argue he's the best. I'm not sure what this means for him. This is not my area of expertise. I know for sports fans, Shohei Otani was absolutely must-see. And this sucks for them and sucks for him. It's a bad, bad news, man. And it's something nobody wanted to hear. Quick break. Come back. Demonze's sneak preview from L.A. next. And we play a new game. What's right? With Factors, delicious, ready-to-eat meals, you will be eating stress-free this spring. Each meal is chef-crafted, fresh, and dietitian approved More importantly, they are never frozen and ready to eat in just two minutes. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also, discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled up all day long. Try meals with premium ingredients like filet mignon, truffle butter, and shrimp, restaurant-quality food that you do not have to prep, cook, or clean up delivered right to your doorstep. And if you need to change your deliveries, you can pause or reschedule whenever you like. Factor is your solution for fast and premium meals. Also, for the month of April, Factor is celebrating Earth Day all month long. Look out for the Earth Month Eats badge on the menu for our lowest carbon footprint meals. So, 
What are you waiting for? Head to factormeals.com slash nickwright50 and use code nickwright50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code nickwright50 at factormeals.com slash nickwright50 to get 50% off your first box and 20% off your next. Fuel up fast, eat better, and get back to what you love doing this spring with Factor. Welcome back in episode 173 and again in about 10, what would it be, 12 days, we will be back to how this show originated with me and DeMonze side by side talking football. They have been working, I mean night and day, building out a custom studio on the other side of the country to match the studio we have here at Trintage in Harlem. In Southern California on the beach where DeMonze's living, just living the life. And we are ready for a sneak preview of it. Let's see DeMonze from the West Coast. And it's like 8 in the morning out there, but he's a he's a morning, an early bird these days. Oh, looking yes, great. How, How are you? I'm, I'm pretty great, good. man. DeMonze, for people that don't know, this is his side gig. Demonte actually has two side gigs. Uh, one is this. Can we say what the other side gig is, or do you want to keep that under wraps? That's up to you. Um, the, keep your, it under wraps for, for, for right that's, now. That's fair. That's what I thought. So the, the, so Demonte has another. He has a couple side gigs. He also has a full-time job. He's doing he's a lot of stuff for FS1 and for Fox in the production and research and all these things department. He was actually telling me a story about work the other day, about some of the work he was doing and what then the, the channels it goes to after. And I was listening and I was interested. And then I also realized I have no idea how television shows get made. <laughs> Everything you were describing to me, you were like, this happened and that happened. I was like... I honestly don't know what you do. I know you're yeah, like man, you're that, like oh I'm doing some stuff with tape. I don't really know what that is. I don't know what it means, but you're doing great. Yeah, that talent life is different, man. You don't you don't know a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes. So uh, I have no clue. I just show up looking great, amazing opinions, <laughs> and all these things show up on the screen, and it's all you guys doing it. Okay, so as a and this is a sneak preview, also a bit of a test. We're going to see how the audio sounds, making sure everything works. It sounds a little echoey in my ear. I hope it doesn't for the actual audience, but that's not the, we'll, this is why we're doing it here. But in honor of DeMonze being back, we're going to do one topic together. And I had all of the things that we could choose from. And I was like, well, the U.S. <laughs> Open does start here in New York pretty soon. But DeMonze does not like the tennis corner. And in fact, the only thing I think he likes less than the tennis corner is the golf corner. So with that said, Demonze, I think we're talking golfers and gamblers. Go right ahead, son. It's time for a little special edition of Nick Makes It Right. Uh, so John Rahm and Max Holman said spectators talking or talking about gambling has become rampant on the tour. And uh, a gambler recently interfered with a pro-am golfer because of a bet. Uh it's time for Nick makes it right. Is this a serious issue, or should these pro athletes stop complaining? Oh, I think it's a. I mean, I don't know if I would call it a serious issue, but I don't. I don't think they're complaining. I think that there are 
I, I think the if there is, and this is going to be really hard for golf and tennis, your two favorites, Demonze in particular, which is there is an expected and understood decorum about noise during play. So, like, if if I have a bet on Steph Curry, take Steph out of it, on under 24 and a half points for Anthony Edwards, and he's at the free throw line with a minute left, and I yell because I want him to miss, he's used to that. People are always yelling. You know what I mean? That's not going to have a tangible impact. Golfers and, and tennis players, you're silent while they're actually playing. And that with the, a guy did shank it in the in the pro am Steph Curry one. A guy shanked it on eighteen, and the guy who yelled had a bet against him. So I do think this could actually be a problem, in that guys going out there and trying to directly impact, uh, you know, their wagers. And I know people have been gambling forever, but people weren't gambling as regularly, and they certainly weren't gambling on what I would call niche events is regularly like golf. People are always gambling on football and basketball. So go ahead, your take. You got to call the hotline if you're uh, out here betting golf, in my opinion. Um, okay, well, there's a lot of good I, I say that the golfers should just do better under pressure, in my opinion. Um, you, one so guy you think screams we should just... And, go ahead. Go ahead. Look, one guy screams and, and you shank it. Hey, dude, be better. I mean, you're, you're a pro-am golfer for a reason. But, you know, I get things have always gone a certain way, but uh, I don't know, man. I, I, I'd yeah, say spice it up. I don't think they're going to change it with golf. I, I think golf of and tennis, not. it's still going to be silent. Now, in tennis, they'll just replay the point. There's you got to look it up. There's an unbelievable video from about a week and a half ago of a tennis match, and midpoint, the person in charge of the in-stadium music all of a sudden turns on Cotton Eye Joe. Where did you come from? Where did you go? That song? Yeah, that, and yeah, no. both both players just stopped immediately. Like, we can't okay. be expected to play under these circumstances. And the umpire was like, <laughs> replay the point. Like, everyone understood. Like, we're not playing with Cotton Eye Joe in the background. So well, I, that's the, that's a different scenario, in my opinion. It's a lot different. Um, it, one guy screaming. Of course, screaming. a different scenario. One guy screaming versus the thing. But I'm golf, I do think that they this could be a significant issue and i do think golf is going to have to determine whether or not you are going to get a do over if someone yells in your backswing because it absolutely impacts these guys and while it always was possible but, but back when tiger was Apex Tiger, people always wanted to be the first one to yell, get it in the hole, like make it on a drive or something like that. Right. And occasionally someone would jump the gun a bit and Tiger would get furious because he'd flinch a bit in his swing and he'd shank it. And so, but that you really didn't have to worry about it because it was just a one-off thing. If people are all of a sudden gambling at these events and have a chance, like who cares if I get thrown out, if it means I win my bet, if I can force, yeah, I, I think it's a real thing. I know you just I've want got these a question. guys to be so tougher. The, the, I, 
I know Steph did a lot of golfing stuff over the summer. Was was that a silent golfing event, or is Steph Curry like the best golfer ever? No. So that well, Steph is great. This event where this happened, Steph won it. Um, right. Steph is a could be a pro golfer. It's you are allowed to make noise after the swing, and people right, make just not noise as after they're, the swing. Just okay. not at once they've approached the ball and are doing their practice swing and the actual swing. And that's what I was saying what happened to Tiger, is people wanted to make noise the moment he hit it. And sometimes people would jump the gun. What happened to this guy was, as soon as he was about to hit it, someone intentionally yelled to shock him, and he shanked it and lost the tournament. All right, listen, you have to get to your actual job. This is great golf discussion. I can't wait. You better, by the way, you better be ready. In 12 days, we'll be we'll be at I think the semifinals of the US Open. Ooh boy. Alcaraz Nadal uh, Alcaraz uh, Djokovic. Oh man. I'm going to it. Your your play uncle Carm is staying with me. He's coming to New York so we can go to the US Open together. He's staying in your room. Huge, yeah. huge. That's awesome, man. Tell Carm I said what's up. Uh it's going to be unfortunate that I'm missing that great match. Uh, I am in a uh, a golf great. league at work. I've yet to play my first game, um, but I'm supposed to be playing it here pretty soon. Uh, we just got to reserve a tee a time first. Yeah. Uh, no, we're just. I'm. I I might go to Top Golf this weekend, and you know, go to Top some drives Golf. Drives in. I think you'd love Top Golf first of all, and second of all, frustratingly, I think you'll naturally be pretty good. You have really yeah, good hand-eye no. coordination. You're tall and strong. You. I just. I think you're naturally going to pick up on it pretty quickly, uh, and I think you'll be a pretty good golfer. All right, well, get, get to work. There's Demonze. He's back in 12 days. We now play, thank you, uh, we now play a new game called The Deciding Factor where I'm going uh, to make a case for or against a team or a player and what their X factor is. The Miami Dolphins. Miami made it to the playoffs last year despite injuries at quarterback. Will they be able to take the next step this year? Why, why not, and what's their X factor? This one's very, very simple. Why they could is Vic Fangio on de- uh, is the defensive coordinator and Tua stays healthy. Why they wouldn't is if Tua gets banged up again. And the X factor is Tua's health. That's very simple. I mean, the Dolphins are not a difficult team to handicap. Uh, it's whether or not Tua can play 16 to 17 games or hell call it if he could play 14 games. McDaniels, I think an excellent offensive mind. We know how many weapons they have on offense. I know Jalen Ramsey's out now for them defensively, but that defense still got better and Vic Fangio's great. The, they, if Tua's healthy, they win that division. And I don't think Tua's great, but I don't think he has to be great. If he's healthy, they win that division. All right, next, Trevor Lawrence to win MVPs plus 1,500. Will he win it? Why? Why not? And what is the X factor? Why he would win it is because they're going to win 13 games and he's going to be awesome and they're going to have a gaudy record. Why he wouldn't win it is if that defense is just too bad for them to win 13 games. Uh, If the defense that they've piled so many top picks into is uh, it doesn't come around to where 
they you know they win 10 games and you can't win MVP. The X factor is 20 and up. Is if the Chiefs go undefeated, Mahomes is winning MVP and the Chiefs might might go undefeated. All right, the Lions. The Lions are this year's trendy pick to make some noise in the NFC. Will they? Why? Why not? And what's their X factor? Why they would is the weak NFC and the Lions' young players, they dr- I want to make sure I explain this the way I mean to explain it. They drafted non-premium positions, but the best or the second-best guy at every position, so they get, might get, like inside linebacker, running back, safety, they might get instant impact from their rookie class. Why they wouldn't, no, no, no. We're that's not the why not. Though that was the why they would. Why they why they wouldn't is Jared Goff goes back to being the Jared Goff that we had seen throughout most of his career prior to last year. The X factor is the offensive line because when Goff is protected, he's good. But the moment he's pressured, he turns into a pumpkin. They need great offensive line play more than just about any team in the league. All right, next, Baltimore. The Ravens seem to have settled the uncertainty this offseason, giving Lamar everything he wanted. New weapons, all that money. Will Lamar look like an MVP again? Why, why not? What's their X factor? Why he would is Todd Munkin in the new weapons, and all of a sudden he's in a pro-style offense like he was at Louisville where he crushed. That's why he would. Why he wouldn't is... Instead of getting better as a passer, he's maybe regressing as a passer, and he keeps missing some of those easy layups. The X factor is how good are the receivers really? Odell, a year off, another knee injury, a rookie in Zay Flowers, will Bateman ever take the leap? You know, how we've spent a lot of resources on the receivers. But how good are they really? All right, we'll go to the Rams now. The Rams, Super Bowl two years ago, everyone's written them off. Could the Rams be due for a bounce-back season? Why? I I don't know. The Rams bouncing back seems impossible. I I, I can't. There, there's no way. Why? Why not? This one will be very simple. Why? There is no reason why. Why not? Because of all. Because of the roster. And the X factor is whether or not they are bad enough early to turn the ship in the other direction and tank for Caleb. Nothing would be smarter for the Los Angeles Rams than to find a way to throw the games against the Arizona Cardinals who are trying to tank for Caleb themselves. All right, next. Baker Mayfield won the starting job in Tampa. I'm still Baker's largest shareholder. Could the Bucks have some run left? Why? Why not? What's their X factor? Why? The division and some of their top flight talent. Good tackles, or good tackle, I should say. Good wide receivers. A couple impact defensive players. Why not? Well, the coach-quarterback combo, the Bulls-Baker combo, I, you know, as much as I want to believe in Baker... You know, it's not exactly a proven coach-quarterback combo. Um, The X factor is, does anyone else in the division take a leap? The Saints or the Falcons? I don't think the Panthers can with Bryce Young. Certainly not this year. The Falcons could be good, man. 
like good-ish. Bijan is awesome, and the Saints are in or perpetually in win-now mode, even if their ceiling is 10 wins and losing in round one. All right, last. I'm set to face off against Phil Helmuth and others in a big poker game next week. Oh, uh, how will I do? What you know? What are the why I'll do well, why I won't, and the X factor. All right, so I'm going down to Houston to play. It's not a poker tournament; it's a cash game, and it's a it's a big cash game. The blind, it's a three blind game, and the blinds are 25, 50, 100. You typically want to have at least, for a game like this, at least 200 big blinds in front of you. So, the big blind is 100, and you want 200 of them. I mean, I would imagine everyone's going to be sitting with at least 20 grand. So, it's a big game. Why all do well is... And by the way, it's a... No Limit Hold'em and Pot Limit Omaha game. It alternates. Why All Do Well is because I think I'm going to have an edge that I don't really want to say. This is real money. I, I, I have an edge that I don't think the other players will have that I will discuss when I get back. Why I wouldn't do well is if I lose a big hand early and get tilted, which is one of my uh, Achilles heels, as it is for a lot of poker players. The X factor, if I'm being totally honest, is whether is whether or not it's a, the players are drinking. Because... It's a it's at a poker club. It's in Texas. If I think my edge goes up considerably, if everyone, myself included, is drinking, if everyone's stone sober and and being you know super quiet and taking it super serious, my edge goes down a bit. But I'm used to playing in a chatty, big action, drinks flowing poker setting. And if that's the setting, I think I could win a lot of money. And if not, luckily football season starts a week after I get back and I'll make it all back with my amazing picks. Which, by the way, that show's coming back as well. Our, th- our th- third show, you know, we usually do off-season two shows a week during football season, three shows a week. The gambling show coming back in a couple weeks. We read your fan questions next. What's right? What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. 
Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. All right, welcome back in episode 173. We're now reading the listener questions. This one's from our producers who want to know how was the Moulin Rouge in Paris. I am here to tell you that is the single greatest show I've ever seen in my life. I understand it's super famous. Nick, why are you surprised? Sometimes things get so famous, they then deteriorate because they're kind of just coasting off their reputation. It, the, it, it, it's a burlesque show, but it is so much more. And yes, there are, you know, very scantily clad women as the, you know, as dancing, but that is not what the show's about. And I am telling you, it was jaw-dropping. Absolutely jaw-dropping. I couldn't believe it. And I can't even pay it justice. I'm just, I'm telling you, um, I, I, Paris was, we, for my trip, I went to Amsterdam, then to Cologne, Germany, then to Brussels, and then to Paris. Paris was one of the greatest cities I've ever been to. One of the only places I've ever traveled to where I was like, oh, I think I could live. I actually could live here. And Moulin Rouge was the best thing I did. Now, I understand this is like, oh, sh big shocking take. Oh, that's a good, that's a good Photoshop of me doing, at, you know, at the Moulin Rouge, I guess. Uh, you know, shocking take. Nick says Paris and the Moulin Rouge are awesome. Yeah, I understand that I'm not the first person to have these opinions, but it was my first experience there. And I thought it was just phenomenal. All right, next. Uh, Quinn says, Nick, you should bet your hair uh, the Chiefs win the Super Bowl. Uh, well, I'm not cutting my hair until the Chiefs lose a game. So it could be years. Uh, Dexter says, who's your sleeper team for the NFL this season? I bet it's the Falcons. We're going to do that when we do prediction week. Um... And when we do, uh, when we get into that on this show, you know, the team, those types of big picture picks, I do like B. John Robinson and I do like the Falcons run game a lot. I will tell you that much. Uh, Cutlass says, honestly, I feel like the influence of sports gambling has gotten too big too fast. I get that. It, to go from totally prohibited to be talked about, like where it's, you know, it's considered illegal and all of these things to where all of our, everything is brought to you by a sports book and it became so ubiquitous. It, it did seem, it has seemed very, very quick. I understand that. Um, Cutlass says, does Nick hate mayo? No, I don't hate mayo, but just the Will Levis putting it in coffee and all that stuff. I just think it's gross. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm not anti mayonnaise in general. I just think the the Will Levis stuff is gross, and it's also not franchise quarterback material, if you ask me. All right, 
reminder, off Tuesday, because I'm doing double duty on television, I'll see you guys today at 3 o'clock on First Things First. TV show's on fire right now, by the way. A really, really nice article in Sports Business Journal uh, talking about the TV show earlier this week. Uh, and I, I couldn't be having more fun. It's going great. Also, next week, big week for exciting week for FS1. I'm very proud of what we're doing over there. I'm proud to be a part of it. I will see you guys on TV today at 3. Back to your final show on the podcast one week from today. See you guys then. What's right? Hey, it's Nick Wright. Thank you so much for watching. Please do us a favor. Click subscribe. It helps my ego. And Demonze's got a financial bonus writing on a number of YouTube subscribers. So help him out. And also click the bell. I don't know what the bell does, but they tell me to tell you to click the bell. And your audio listeners, people that have commutes, drives, whatever it is, subscribe to the podcast as well, wherever you get the podcast. Same show, just, you know, just in your ears instead of through your eyes. All that. Check it out. Appreciate y'all.